Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I am the founder of Project MedTech, Dwayne Mancini. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. This is another episode of Project MedTech's series, MedTech Money. This is a special series by Project MedTech where we have partnered with Mr. MedTech himself, Giovanni Loricella, in a series of podcast episodes focusing on money in the MedTech space. Giovanni's guest today is Yoav Fisher from Health IL. In this episode, Giovanni and Yoav discuss what Health IL is, how they are funded, and what their focus is, how they work with Israeli startup companies, what makes Israel so special, what is Israel's limitations, and more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Yoav Fisher. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future of what comes next with Project MedTech. Yoav. I am incredibly excited about having you on here today. And by the time this podcast ends, all the listeners will know why. But I've been very fortunate to have numerous conversations with you in the past, in addition to actually hosting a clubhouse discussion with you too. So I'm looking forward to the juicy details that we're going to get into on the funding aspects for startups within Israel. So no pressure, no pressure, right? (laughs) No pressure at all. But as we start out normally, this is the MedTech podcast series, MedTech Money podcast series, powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. And Yoav, very glad to have you on today. The reason why we're here, I've talked to thousands of MedTech entrepreneurs and investors around the world. And after all those conversations, I've, I've really found out and figured out that there's no real silver bullet or specific formula on how to raise or even invest capital in med tech. So my goal here is I wanted to extract insights and anecdotal stories from investment bankers, from sovereign nation representatives like yourself, from investors, from entrepreneurs. And I want that to be able to help out those who can benefit from the information of generations of professionals to come. So that's the purpose of this. The audience is going to be a mixture of experts and novices listening in right now. And I wanted to extract your stories, your insights, as well as advice so that what I imagine is the first time founder or CEO can benefit from this information. And likely that person has no clue of what lies ahead on their journey of raising or even investing capital. So I thought the best place to start is from learning from experienced professionals like yourself. And the excitement comes in because... Um, The reason why you and I are specifically here talking is I want to understand the general landscape of funding and the capital raising ecosystem within Israel. And I think you are an incredibly unique person to be able to speak to that. And we're going to get into the reasons why. But before we do that, I have a few questions, open-ended questions that I wanted to toss your way. And then we're going to find out, or at least reveal who you are and the organization that you represent. So the first question, let's do it. Let's do it. The first question is, do you believe people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? Is there anything else that you'd add? Um, Okay. First of all, I'm very excited and happy to be here. I think this will be fun. Um, 
And I'm going to say something to answer your question that may be kind of shocking. My answer is no. People <laughs> and money are very important, but they're not the only important thing. Healthcare is exceedingly complex. Succeeding in healthcare innovation is exceeding com exceedingly complex. Um, and capital is important. Teabin is very important, but is also equally important um, to understand the non-technical aspects of it. You know, the incentive structures, workflows and processes, healthcare economics, that clinical versus financial alignment, um, the stakeholder strategies beyond just a payer or provider who are the other stakeholders. Add on top of that, you know, the scientific and clinical validation that may or may not be relevant. And then add on top of that, policy and regulation. So I think in certain areas, you know, team and money plus tech equals success. I don't think that's the case in healthcare. Um, you know, there's endless, I'm sure you track this like the, the crunch base uh, failed or startup failure, whatever. And the failures from there, from you know, that always pop up are product market fit and the business model, um, and that's true in healthcare. So team is critical, cash is critical, but it's in healthcare innovation, not the only critical things, and that's really important. And I know the story. We're all going to find out very soon. But you have an interesting background, and yeah. My question now, leading, and I'll spoil it, with you heading up Health IL from an innovation perspective, if you knew what you know now about being a medtech investor, a medtech ecosystem facilitator, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? What would you do differently? So... Yes, it's super fascinating to me, right? It's, it's unbelievably fascinating. It's fascinating because of the complexity. I really love understanding how all these startups fit into the system from a strategic perspective. Not even, you know, the technology is part of that strategy. What I would do differently, you know, I would have started earlier. Um, I frankly got into, you know, the startup scene rather late. I was like 35 or so. I won't tell you my age now, um, but, you know, I was fortunate enough to have decent hair DNA, but I'm older than 35. So I started late in the scene. I would have started earlier, you know, and that's a personal thing. It just took me a long time to figure out what I was good at and, and what I really like doing. Um, that's one thing. I would have also uh, added some more technical jargon and technical, you know, cachet to my background. I'm not a, a techie, so to speak. I understand everything I need to know about technology to be able to assess the viability of it in the healthcare space. Um, but it would have been nice to have some more coding experience, more hands-on stuff. Those are the two big things that I would have changed. And now I'm very fascinated by the incredibly long story of the name behind the company that you represent. What, so, what does Health IL mean? <laughs> health IL is very simple. Health Israel. That's it. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what it is. So at the highest level, Health IL is a governmental initiative. I'm funded by the Ministry of Economy, 
and other governmental entities in Israel. And the focus is on the integration of technology into the healthcare systems. The method by which I do it is that I start first with the recipient. The recipient can be anyone, the HMO, the provider, the insurance company, uh, you know, the pharma company, the device company. I work a lot with you know, the big tech companies. And I do two things. I meaning me and my small little team. First, we do this deep dive assessment of what they actually want and need, um, and which is frequently very different from what they state. Um, and the second thing, which is equally as important, is understanding how they operate. What can they offer the startup? Is there cash? Is there access to data, access to KOLs? Do infrastructures exist to even adopt innovation? Yes, no, all this stuff. And we frequently help build them up. And the other end of it is every kind of digital health startup in Israel that moves at any stage. And my goal is to help integrate them. Um, it's just a very deep, and, and, and deliberate process. The other thing that's unique about this is because I'm governmental, um, I work with everyone. I work with the Ministry of Health on regulation and policy. I work with the Innovation Authority in Israel on funding gaps. Um, you know, I, I work with, with the TTOs on their issues. I work with accelerators. I work with VCs. I work everywhere. Um, so it gives this very holistic perspective of the challenges toward integration and how all those pieces move together. Um, and me personally, Health IL is not beholden to this, right? I, I get money from the Ministry of Economy. They pay my salary. So I'm not an employee of any of the healthcare organizations. I don't take a cut from the startups. I'm actually an NGO registered nonprofit. This creates a level of trust where people tell me the truth, right? For this to work, I need to really know what the startup can and cannot do. But I also really need to know what the hospital can and cannot do. Um, my personal background from this is in venture. Uh, I worked with one of the leading shops here in Israel that only does healthcare. Uh, prior to that, I was doing uh, consulting for about four years uh, in my niche to the startup ecosystem, both to founders and to VCs. My background is in economics. I did my master's in applied economics and finance. So that's what I was doing the consulting on, right? The, you know, the, the economic validity, the business validity, the financial validity. Um, so my play into health isn't medical and isn't technological, right? It goes back to what we were talking about before about the, the, the team and money, right? I, I deal with the operations. I deal with the business. I deal with who's going to pay for all this stuff and why. That's what gets me excited. So I love the fact that you stole my next two questions because you kind of collaborated both of them. But now that we have all this background, um, your, your, your English is absolutely perfect. I am only asking this question because I know it, but who is Yoav Fisher? Where are you from? And tell us this long biblical story of how you ended okay. up in Israel. So I was born in Israel. I was born in Jerusalem. I'm actually the 11th generation of my family to be born in Jerusalem. Wow. Um, my parents moved to California when I was 11. Before that, we were, sorry, we moved to Massachusetts when I was six. Um, Israel at the time, in you know, the mid-80s had a horrible economic situation. And the U.S. was handing out visas to anybody who could engineer anything. So it was a very conservative decision by my parents to leave. There was a job opportunity. My dad actually worked for Digital Equipment Corporation, which I don't know if listeners still remember that that company existed, but it used to be a huge deal in the 80s. Um, 
And then they subsequently stayed. Uh, there was quite a lot of Israelis who left Israel during the mid 80s. Um, and, you know, they moved to the usual areas. My parents are now in the Bay Area. Um, I decided, so I did my BA in economics at UC San Diego, uh, worked actually in retail for the corporate offices at, of the Gap as an analyst after my BA, um, basically number crunching for the amount of jeans sold and the amount of t-shirts sold and stuff like that, um, and decided to get my master's in applied economics as opposed to an MBA, which to this day, I don't know if it's the right decision, but it was fascinating. Um, so when I was looking around for places that actually have a high quality master's program, it was LSE, NYU, or Tel Aviv University. You know, and at the time I was like, I'm gonna go move to Tel Aviv. It was substantially cheaper uh, tuition price for me. And my thought was, you know, I'll be a bachelor in Tel Aviv, date all these women. So <laughs> frankly, uh, so the masters happened, but I didn't date all these women. I ended up meeting my wife. Um, and that's why I stayed in Israel. Um, so after the master's, I worked for an economic consulting firm, an Israeli version of, I guess, McKinsey, uh, but focused just on the public sector. And while I was doing that, I had all these friends who, you know, were having all these ideas for startups and this, that, whatever. And I was consulting for them on the side, you know, on, on, on the business and on, on, on their economic aspects and their models, whatever. Um, until I got enough clients where I was like, you know, maybe I can spin off and do this on my own. And that's what led to the previous question of how I got into, you know, venture and healthcare technology and now how they own. The consulting from, you know, dealing with small founders first and then bigger startups and then consulting to investors until eventually I became an investor myself. And then how was that transition going from being an actual venture capitalist into a nonprofit? Look, it, let's be honest, right? Obviously, there's like a major pay cut. Um, but the decision was personal. Um, and it also gave me exposure into the much wider system of healthcare. Like it was a very calculated decision to say, okay, I'm going to work in an organization that sees and touches every aspect of healthcare innovation. Um, basically, to make myself you know, much more in tune with it uh, and, and to expose myself to what, as a VC, you don't see. I mean, in a weird, ironic way, I would consider myself a better investor now than I was when I was in venture, hmm. in a weird way. Well, I mean, I'm sure you got a lot more exposure, like you mentioned, to see things that you probably weren't privy to before that clearly out of the experience yeah. would make you a better one. So you, you dabbled into what health IL was a little bit ago. I want to give a more salient, clearer aspect of the the delineation aspects. I think a lot of people have heard about the Innovation Authority and how they give out capital. And, I, and correct me on how I'm saying this, whether it's in a grant form or whether it's in a loan form um, to very early stage startups within Israel. What is the main difference between the Innovation Authority within Israel and Health IL. Okay, so we work with them a lot. They're really good buddies of ours. The Innovation Authority, and this gets into our bigger topic, right? And maybe this is your way of segueing into that of funding models in Israel. The Innovation Authority was set up as a governmental entity to fund the riskiest of innovation, right? Because 
it's so risky that VCs won't touch it. So the government's going to put in the money to cover that initial risk. That was at the beginning. Um, and obviously the focus there is on really deep tech, really you know, deep innovation. That still exists. The Innovation Authority has grown up uh, and now has multiple funding tracks. Uh, what you're referring to is just non-dilutive funding. And it's not just for early stage companies. The Innovation Authority has now 40 different tracks for various types of companies, early stage, mid-stage, growth stage. Uh, um, they'll fund different things. Sometimes it's Cerex Cash, sometimes specifically in health, they'll fund pilots in collaboration with a local uh, hospital. So they have multiple different tracks uh, for non-dilutive funding and multiple different types of non-dilutive funding. But yes, it's a fully governmental entity. Health IL does not give money. We, they give the money, we're in charge of integration, right? The Innovation Authority doesn't work with the hospitals on let's actually make this thing work. That's where the pass off is to Health IL. So the Innovation Authority is the first stop, Health IL is the second stop. I don't know if it necessarily stops. Uh, you know, most startups work in conjunction with both. You know, it, it's really interesting. I see a lot of startups frequently many months before VCs do uh, for various constellations. Um, but frequently they'll do both. Frequently they they want to have, you know, pilot funding from the innovation authority. So they'll come to me first in order to see which hospital has the need that matches them in order to foster that pilot, which can then trigger money for the innovation authority. And sometimes it's the reverse. They've done a pilot, an initial whatever, got money from the innovation authority. What else can I do? And then they'll come to me. There's a lot of integration and a lot of goodwill between Health IL and the Innovation Authority. We work with them a lot. So have you ever experienced or heard of another country having a program like Health IL? Is there anything out there? Is there any other countries that have the Innovation Authority aspect or Health IL? Or is Israel just so damn unique across the board? Okay, so... I there are models similar to the Innovation Authority, um, and different countries do it in different ways. Like South Korea, I know, gives a lot of funding to R&D. Uh, stuff in Europe that I'm seeing pop up a lot is at the regional level, you know, like the Limburg region has their investing on. I see this in Canada as well. There's federal money and then provincial money and there's state money. Um, so there's quite a lot of funding options that are similar to the Innovation Authority in the sense that it's governmental money. Something like Health IL, I have not seen yet ever, right? It's weird, like the government pays me to help. It's kind of bizarre, right? Um, so I have actually not come across that in any other ways. So this book, Startup Nation, exists. I don't know if Israel is not only great at R&D and innovation, but also amazing marketeers across the world of letting them know that they're this innovation authority of, of startups and, and building innovative products and, and, and not even just in health tech, just across the board, even in defense, right? Um, walk us through, so we have a very clear image of if I'm an entrepreneur and I have a napkin idea, and, and we're gonna stick within health tech, um, specifically okay. in the tech if we can. Um, if I have a napkin idea and I'm an Israeli, 
what's my next steps and how am I, how early am I asking for money from the innovation authority? Am I, and is it like being in the States first where you got to go raise family and friends um, and then go out? Like if I have a great aha moment in the shower of my next product, I'm going to design, walk us through this whole linear path before I can become a possibly autonomous startup where I can look for external funding. Yeah. So Israel at the highest level currently, specifically for health tech, has a lot of money. Some would argue too much money, um, but there are still gaps, and that depends on the stage. For the earliest, earliest stages, um, the innovation authority is there. There's money for the earliest, earliest, earliest napkin ideas. Um, there are a few angels who specify in health, um, and obviously there's friends and family. Um, so that does not necessarily mean that every napkin idea is going to get funding from the innovation authority, right? As we were talking about, their MO is to fund deep, deep, deep tech. Now, there's a lot of amazing startups in Israel and the U.S. everywhere where the innovation is not technological, but the innovation is in the business model or the product or the market fit or in you know, the differentiation or whatever it is. So there is that sensitivity of, okay, I have this amazing product for you know, whatever it is, the next noon, let's say, that's not necessarily going to get funded by the Innovation Authority because it doesn't fall into their MO of funding deep tech. So um, there are a lot of options for napkin stage things from the government, but it is not necessarily a guarantee. So then if, if you have to fall into that deep tech aspect then, um, is it kind of now demystify what you're saying where if, if I do have a great napkin idea or at least I consider a great napkin idea, but it doesn't fall into that deep tech aspect where I may not fall within the innovation authority. Am I, am I now pursuing a, a, a very stereotypical path like I would in the US or Europe where I am asking family and friends and I am asking for seed capital? So there's a major support network of, you know, you can call them, I guess, service providers in Israel um, for this stage. There's, I think, 85 accelerators, including major, you know, multinational accelerators like Mass Challenge, who are here to support that. Um, there's corporate acceleration programs, there's municipal acceleration programs, there's, there's public ones, there's private ones, all these can fill in. Um, you know, companies like PwC, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, all the big four or five accounting firms, every single law firm has a service where they provide uh, funding help to startups at the napkin stage based on their network. And they do this for free, right? Obviously, their intent is that some of these startups grow up and will use the core services of the law firm or the accounting firm, but there is an endless not endless, but there is a robust network of support for you know, napkin stage companies who do not get funding from the Innovation Authority. What about Health IL? Is there a certain duration or a point in time where you help 
a startup grow itself where once they hit that line, you have to let them go and they're off on their own? I mean, do you, do you, you know what? Not at all. I find things that are relevant for companies that have raised, you know, $120 million. Uh, I actually frequently do this and, and it's strategic connections that they may or may not have thought about. It's access to other, you know, uh, um, uh, other avenues for commercialization, either in Israel or abroad. Um, I actually find myself more and more dealing with A and B round companies who are not traditionally in health, who are now looking to make inroads to that. And how do you do that? How do you take a product that isn't at all built for health and find a use case within health? Um, I help out at all stages, frankly. You know, I, I, for example, this company Six Over Six that I love, they've already been acquired. Um, and I connected them to a small hospital here in Israel for a pilot. Why? Because Six Over Six is looking to develop the next features that are relevant for this product. And those features need to start from the beginning when it comes from to, to clinical validation. So I work stage agnostic with everyone. I mean, we know that Israel is not a very large country. It's the size of True. New Jersey, right? So is it fair to say if you're a startup with some sort of health flair that you have access to Health IL if you're based in Israel? I mean, do you have access to all of these startups? Yes. I sit on a Rolodex of I just passed 1,020 startups just in what's traditionally called digital health. Wow. Not everyone is good, obviously. And I, this is from people who literally have an idea to companies that have raised over $100 million. So if you have this wide breadth, once again, looking at a very small country, but obviously a powerhouse of R&D, um, what are the major trends of health innovation that you're seeing within the borders of Israel? Is it software? Is it digital health? Is it actual tangible catheters and implantables on the medical device side. Where is Israel right now? So there's a big push uh, over the last couple of years for software first, right? And in many cases, software only. Israel has always traditionally had uh, device for devices sake, you know, going back to the 60s. Um, and same with, you know, drugs for drugs sake, like actual molecules, chemistry, that's still going on. But the biggest trends that I'm seeing are in pure software plays for healthcare. Why software then? I mean, what, what makes, is there something in the water? Is there something in the economy? Is there something in the culture? Like why is there this software outbreak in Israel? I know that software in general is taking over the world, but what, what makes you guys so good at software? So uh, there's, if I boil it down, right, and take, uh, take away all the fluff, uh, you know, and all the marketing speak, there's a couple of very unique things that do exist in Israel that I haven't really found in other countries to push for this software in healthcare. The first is that you have a high concentration and critical density of very technical people, right? They all live within 40 kilometers of my house in central Tel Aviv. And they're all interacting with each other and they're all talking to each other. And at the end of the day, it's a higher proportion of the population than the US. You know, I, I mean, Europe is like three, 4% of the population works in tech. 
the U.S. is maybe five, six. Israel's reaching 10% of the population. That's a lot of highly technical talent. That's the first aspect. The second aspect is there is this cultural thing, right? Israel is this tiny country, as you said, and the market is not here. So from day one, they're looking abroad. And the third thing is that the healthcare organizations here, and that includes pharma, that includes you know the, the, the tech companies that I work with, like Facebook, Google, Procter & Gamble, whatever, um, there's easy access to them. And these organizations want to deal with the startups. So it creates this amazing alpha site. Um, you know, within two degrees of separation, any founder can get to, you know, whoever heads up uh, uh, healthcare at Intel in Israel, really in two degrees of separation. And frequently I make these introductions, obviously. Um, so that's the third aspect. And then the fourth aspect is that there's a lot of support, you know, the innovation authorities there, all these service providers that we're talking about, tons and tons and tons of money. And we can get into like the gaps of the money in a bit if you want and, and the issues that exist with it. But those are the four aspects, right? So tons of technical people, a culture that's looking to stuff for abroad, um, lots of money, and the healthcare organizations are all open and really interested in innovation. So it's this wonderful alpha site. So you're this connector for startups with all these various components that obviously a startup needs, partnerships, access, capital, et cetera. Do you actually help syndicate rounds? I mean, do you take startups and start syndicating them out to specific investors? So this is the funny thing. This is actually the one thing that I do not do, right? I get calls at least three, four times a month from various investing entities in Israel, abroad, it doesn't matter where, who are very curious about my access to deal flow and my access to due diligence, right? Because every one of these thousand startups I speak to, every single one of them, and I know what they're actually doing and with who. And this is actually the one thing that I cannot share with them. Um, for very, for, you know, for, for two very specific reasons. The first as a governmental entity, um, that's the only IP I have. So I'm not gonna go and give off my IP for free, right? It's the only, it's my reason for being is my Rolodex. I have nothing more that holds this ship together. <laughs> the second thing is that uh, I really try hard to maintain the neutrality and objectivity of health AL. So I can't go and tell one VC this is good and not tell the others. I either tell everyone everything or tell no one nothing. And so the decision was made with the government that we will not tell anything to anybody. So when a VC asks me for deal flow, I cannot do that. But when the converse happens, when the startup needs help, that I will do, right? Because I know all the VCs and I know what they're looking at and this and that. And so that's easy for me to do. This goes here, this goes there, this goes there, whatever. So I do help, but I help from the perspective of the introduction. I'm As a governmental entity, I can't get into commercial terms of let me help you syndicate this, I've been approached by a lot of funds who want me to help them find LPs, which is something that I absolutely will not do. And that's from purely, you know, egotistical perspective. I'm not going to share my network with that. Um, so I can't get into like 
let me help you structure the terms and the deals and this and that, whatever. But if the startup says we're raising, then I will help them with the connection outward. But it's only one directional. It's only the startup to the VC. It's not the VC to the startup. I have a very good friend who's based in Israel, successful CEO, sold off med tech companies before. And I was having dinner with him one time in Israel, and I was just asking about cultural stories, et cetera. And, and he described Israel as a poor country with rich people. And <laughs> all right, explain. And so, which, means. which I'm assuming, like everywhere else in the world, there's always some gaps or underbelly of something that's going on in Israel, right? We've talked about how amazing Israel is with all these extra systems put in place that um, we haven't found in other countries, for example, like I asked you earlier before. You alluded to it not too long ago about the gaps, and let's talk about that. I mean, if, if we want to get a little controversial here, I mean, Israel sounds awesome. It's the startup nation. You guys have all these sovereign entities put in place to be able to help innovation spur itself and grow and flourish. Yep. What? What else is the world not seeing or what's the Where's gap? the catch? Is that what you're asking? Where's what's the catch? The, yeah, what's the catch? Look, in order to answer this, you got to be so deep in the weeds and you need to peel back so many layers of the onion. And for better or worse, I'm there, right? For worse, meaning that like I'm in some situations so jaded by what I see because I'm so deep into it um, that it's hard for me to like, sometimes pick my head up above water and see all the amazing things. So I try to balance it out, but let's talk about the underbelly, right? First, from a health tech perspective, there's specific regulations that are just kind of lagging the rest of the world here in Israel that do affect digital health and health tech innovation. Uh, cloud policy here is lagging by quite a number of years. Um, Policy regarding software as a medical device does not exist. Policy regarding data ownership does not exist. These things definitely affect the growth of uh, any startup in the health tech space. It sometimes mean that you will have to redo clinical studies abroad. Um, it sometimes means that there will be a challenge accessing healthcare data abroad, whereas in Israel it was easier because there's no real cloud policy. Um, or it's easier to get certain aspects of clinical data here because there's no real data ownership issue. I mean, obviously there's, there's HIPAA compliance and GDPR, but there's no consent really. So these are nuances. Um, at the highest level, all these wonderful things we talked about can also create this false positive um, from the sense that it is relatively easier, right? It's never easy but it's relatively easier for a founder to find early capital and, and you know, a, a site to do some sort of observational study or, or POC. So this creates this false positive in the sense that, look, you know, I got funding in Israel, I did a, a, a POC or a pilot in Israel, and in many situations, the founders, but also their investors, thinks that, equals, you know, viability abroad. And it doesn't necessarily always equal that. So that's kind of the underbelly of it. More specific stuff regarding funding, there's a very distinct 
seed stage cash crunch going on right now in Israel. This is driven both by, you know, very large health tech funds uh, who just because of their fund economics actually can't really invest in seed um, and not in digital health specifically because the exit values don't align their fund size. Uh, this is also driven by a large influx of foreign uh, investors, specifically generalists, who aren't going to take the risk on for something so far. And I get that. That's legit, right? If you're like, you know, some massive fund in in, in, in LA, uh, you're not going to invest in a seed state company that's so far away from you. So that creates a large pool of money in the A round, B round, and up. Um, it's driven by a number of different factors. It's driven by the fact that angels here aren't really health expertise. So, um, there's kind of an underlying panic around this. The Innovation Authority actually published about two months ago this really kind of, I don't want to call it scandalous, but eye-opening article that was titled The End of the Startup Nation. So that's where the underbelly really is. There's very distinct funding gaps, uh, very distinct regulation policy thing. Data, Healthcare data exists in Israel, but there's a very big difference between digitized healthcare data that exists and the next step, which is it being accessible and even that being relevant. So there's also gaps in the healthcare data that uh, to be overcome that the country and the government is very well aware of and putting an effort to justify and rectify. So that kind of, I hope that answers the question. It, it does. Yeah. I mean, just to summarize it, I think the, the major punchline out of all of that, that if we can just circle back to whether you can summarize the article or, or shed your personal experience on top of it, the end of the startup nation, right? So we, we have a book called- That was their name. That was their article. That was their wording, not mine. Of course. Their wording. I understand. I understand. that. But I'm saying the book called Startup Nation, right now there's an article called The End of the Startup Nation. I mean, are there are there- is there truly a reality to it or is it just a foreshadowing of what may come if everything persists? Are there aspects that you as health IL are coming in play and trying to stop that erosion? Um, like so there's definitely like we work with the innovation authority on these funding gaps. Um, and you know, there's thoughts about how health IL can potentially address this in one way or another. Um, it's difficult because I am a governmental entity at the end of the day. I'm a, NGO funded by the government. So Health AL can't by law have its own fund, but you know, there's there's thoughts about how do you structure something that Health AL can be part of as like a strategic ecosystem, whatever that can address this funding gap. Um, there's a lot of different aspects to it. Look, there's also, you know, if you talk about startups, don't forget it's not just the capital gap. There's also a big knowledge gap that needs to be overcome, right? Like Israel is very different from Germany or Brazil or the US or Japan. And like, especially the US is so unbelievably complicated that, you know, I've been in this world for four years now and I'm constantly learning more nuances about it. The other thing is the access gap. Like how do you get the person at Sibley in Virginia who is the decision maker when you're a tiny startup here in Israel, right? I'm just throwing out Sibley, Kaiser Permanente, whoever, right? So those two aspects are also very challenging from a founder's perspective. What about the actual, if we go back to the money aspect of it, and, and you were in venture before, and now you also obviously help 
um, or help, help facilitate and network on, on raising capital within Israel for these startups. What's the actual privatized venture capital scene like for health tech in Israel? Is it all early stage? Is it all really big late stage stuff? Are they forced to look outside of Israel because even though the money's there, they can't even fund stuff that exists right in their own backyard. So they have to deploy the money. What is the venture scene in Israel specific to health tech? Okay, so there's a couple of different avenues, right? There's obviously the governmental aspect we talked about. There's also what's called incubators here in Israel, which are basically government-backed accelerators with money. Um, instead of going directly to the government to get funding, you can go to an incubator, which has a big pot of government money, but it offers acceleration services on top of that. There's obviously all the angels. Uh, there's um, quite a large number of VCs in Israel. Um, Traditional, interestingly enough, if you track out investments over the last like five, seven years, you see kind of this strange blip over the last year or so. And that blip is where generalist VCs, local ones who have never touched health, are now investing in healthcare. Um, and obviously, I get it, they're interested in it. There's potential there. Everyone sees that consolidation is happening in, in Europe and in the States. So the path to liquidity is becoming a little bit more clear or at least you know, a, 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 a higher probability that some liquidity event will happen. Um, so there's a lot of excitement around it. Um, and then before that year, there were basically you know, a handful of funds who were really just kind of pushing health innovation in Israel forward. And they all had their focus, right? There was the ones who just did the device. There was ones who just did the deep biotech and the pharma. And, you know, so those still exist, but I'm seeing quite a lot of generalist companies, uh, generalist VCs making plays like Flint Capital is an interesting one. They have an office in New York and in Tel Aviv. And I think just last week, over last week, they had two plays uh, that were publicized in health back to back. And I don't think they've ever invested really in healthcare. But I'm seeing it a lot. I'm seeing a lot of generalist interest. They're hiring and staffing up people who are uh, more domain experts in healthcare. I don't know. It's going to create some level of competition. Um, especially because there's only a fixed amount of startups at any given day. Um, so it could be some reshuffling um, in the coming years of how this works. What about- I'm also seeing, sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, the, the, the VCs in Israel, do they have an affinity to investing only in Israeli companies or are there VCs that solely invest in Israeli companies and because of the size of their- portfolios they're forced to look outside of israel i mean yeah i mean look that's obviously going to happen right if you have if you're sitting on a billion bucks right by definition you're going to have to go make pharma plays you can't really do software right at the end of the day like the actual average exit liquidity of digital health or just software plays is around you know 125 million that's it. There's very, even less, I would venture to guess, in the U.S. So if at the end of the day, a VC is at a, on a good scenario, going to have 15% equity of that 100 million exit, right? 15 million, 
returns to them. If you got a billion bucks, there's no way you're going to get the X return, right? Because that billion bucks has to somehow become 3 billion. And if you're at the end of the day, really going to get, you know, that 3 billion becomes 2.2 billion after expenses and fees, whatever, to get your 15% IRR that you pitch to your LPs. So at the end of the day, if you're sitting on so much cash, you're going to have to deploy to like pharma, right? Pharma requires significantly more capital, significantly longer timeframes. So, there's this kind of that's part of the problem larger and larger funds are being raised or, or forming over the last five ten years that want to dabble in health but you know just by fund economics and i'm going to assume that they're aware of this internally um they're not really able to play with digital health right and the other thing is that everyone's looking for a unicorn i don't necessarily think that's right you know, I see a lot of great companies where I think their exit can be in three, four years at, at you know, a much smaller multiple. And, and, and if you strategically play that right, that can potentially be a wonderful return for, you know, an investment vehicle that's sitting on like 25 to 50 million. Um, but it's not going to be a unicorn. And, and you know, so I, I, there is a misalignment. We'll put it that way. You know, 70 plus years ago, the formation of, of Israel, right? So, I mean, obviously you guys are this amazing small country that has done incredibly huge strides of development and evolution of, of an economy, right? And here we are today um, being the startup nation. You say that there's all this money in Israel, right? I'm going to go back to the analogy of the size of New Jersey. Um, yeah. That would be like saying... New Jersey is a powerhouse of a, with a bunch of money, et cetera. Where does all this money come from in 70 years? <laughs> okay, so I'll give you the history of VC. So there are always investment here. There was governmental initiatives in the late 80s and 90s. There were two governmental initiatives that uh, kind of pushed or created what this industry is today. They both had different incentives. One was a tax incentive where the government effectively uh, uh, eliminated all your tax on earnings from that vehicle. And the other one was a matching vehicle, meaning if you could come with, you know, 50 million bucks from your own LPs, the government would match this. So this kind of overnight created Israeli VCs, which didn't exist. And a few of those legacy ones actually still exist. They've gone through, you know, rebranding, whatever, but a few of them actually still exist. So that kind of almost immediately created local VCs. Um, and obviously, you know, it created a number of them. Um, and that first generation, you know, the people who worked in that spun off and created their own things. So there's all of that. Um, but that was kind of the initial push of it. Now, what happened after that, I'd say somewhere around uh, maybe 10 years ago is that it became much easier to access from abroad. And so all of a sudden you have all these VCs who exist in the States who did one of two things. They set up shop here, right? There's actually Lightspeed is here, Bessemer's here, uh, Sequoia's here, really big names, right? And because they invest at later rounds, um, 
they have access to everything. There's only a set amount of startups. So when you get to how many startups are actually B round or C round, it's kind of a fixed pool. It's not that big of a pool. So you can manage it by having an office with four human beings and that's it. So that was another big uh, kind of boost to the money. And then more recently, as this innovation is popping up, I'm seeing a lot of different avenues. I'm seeing quite a lot of corporate activity here. Um, in one way or another, they have someone on the ground, Sumitomo, uh, Sampo, Samsung Next has an office here, right? They do one, Samsung Next is like, you know, 150 million evergreen fund, invest in whatever the hell you want. So there's quite a lot of CVC activity here as well. Um, and that's also been happening over the last two years. So there's a lot of money going around, but for, for all things, right? I mean, I can't speak to... Um, money that's going into fintech or, or, or ad tech, right? That's not my space, but there's a lot of investors. Once again, keeping on the, the smallness of Israel, but this powerhouse of innovation and, and focusing on health, it's from what I've heard and thought through with others on the ground over there in Israel, when you're developing a medical device or digital health, I mean, in order to develop it, clinically test it and commercialize it. You can't take a product from A to Z in Israel. By nature of development, you have to look outside of Israel at some point. Is that correct? I think this goes back to what you're saying that the market here is super small, right? Even if you can, and there's, in theory, you can. In theory, you can definitely take it from A to Z and commercialize it, whatever. But it goes back to what you're saying. The market here is so small that inherently you're going to look abroad. Um, you have to, right? Especially if you have, you know, VCs behind you who are looking for their returns and need to justify that to their LPs. You need to have something scalable beyond this tiny little country. So because you naturally have to be outward facing, right? Up in, at least until you hit that proverbial glass ceiling. Um, are there natural, once again, staying within health tech, are there natural relationships with countries that Israelis typically go to? Is it, they all- Oh yeah, they all want to go to the US. They all want to go to the US. I think the US is great. I think there's actually missed opportunities in other countries, specifically um, if we're talking about digital health, there's really fascinating opportunities in Europe. Uh, the DIGA reg re uh, regulation in Germany, for example, and Germany is not a small country, it's 80 million human beings, right? And they have really interesting new regulation that actually offer offers opportunities for digital health. The NHS in England is doing really fascinating things, you know, aligning their reimbursement models around it. Spain is doing really fascinating things. Obviously, everyone wants to go to the US, but I'm seeing quite a lot of opportunities in Europe. And even in, you know, places like Brazil and, and, and India, um, granted, it's still really difficult to get into there, but I'm seeing them express some interest in the avenues becoming a little bit more easier. Uh, I think it's still really hard to figure out how to make money in those countries, but I can see the initial sparks of, of things developing in Latin America, for example, even in Africa. The last several times that I've been to Israel, I should say several years that I've been visiting, th there's been this big push towards this bridge between Israel and China. Are you feeling that too? 
I was and I wasn't. Uh, you know, because I'm governmental, I work with a lot of, uh, uh, you know, the foreign ministry quite a bit. And I work with their counterparts in all these countries, in Beijing, whatever. I do a lot of speaking, you know, on behalf of Israel on the topic of health innovation. And I actually have a very good friend who was living in Shanghai for about five years and was working for the commerce, you know, the, the trade and commerce department there bringing innovation there. And it was really challenging for him, especially digital health. Devices were easier because devices always had some patent protection behind it that from his words, not mine, the Chinese respected. Uh, and he said that digital healthcare was practically impossible because the Chinese would just replicate whatever they thought was interesting. Um, so it's really challenging. Uh, and this is just hearsay stories I hear from my you know, war counterparts who live there. The, the direction of, and, and your advice, sitting in your very middle seat, looking out both in money and as well as the facilitation for startups and everything else in between. Um, your advice to an Israeli entrepreneur on how to go about getting funding and, yep. then, and then also your very vivid awareness of the venture community within Israel that has to look outside. Those listeners listening to this right now wherever you are in the world, let's just assume it's Europe and United States just for the sake of this conversation. What advice would you give to the Israeli entrepreneur looking for capital, whether it's in the borders of Israel or what advice would you give them to look outside? And then why would anyone who's not in Israel look to Israel for capital? So interesting, very interesting questions. So first of all, I think for founders in Israel who want to develop something in health, um, there's a pro and a con. The pro is that it's never been a better time to uh, get in front of VCs, right? Because it's, as I said, not just traditional healthcare VCs, but now generalist VCs are all interested in meeting and, and exploring the space. So it's a wonderful time to get in front of them, right? They're all super excited about it. They're all super interested in it and rightfully so, and that's wonderful. Um, but that seed stage gap uh, is an issue. It's an issue because, you know, obviously the early stage funders, the early stage founders, sorry, uh, may encounter kind of this like, they may encounter fund, that funding gap head on, which may be a problem. I will also say this for later stage startups, let's say a round and up from Europe, from the US, whatever, there's actually really good time uh, timing to talk to the larger Israeli funds. As I said, you know, these funds need to deploy massive amounts of capital and Israel's a small country. So it's actually not, and they're looking more and more abroad, right? They're looking to Europe and the US because they know they can't really invest in Israel at the seed stage. So startups that are, you know, have traction from Europe and the US this actually might be a really interesting opportunity to hit up Israeli VCs, ironically. My last question for you is the uniqueness of Health IL. We, we've talked about the fact that you haven't seen it anywhere else in the world. Coming back to this idea of size, right, and, and the sovereign programs that Israel has in place, should other countries think about 
building a internal health IL? Like what, what benefits do you actually see about this program? Why can't every country implement it? Let's leave off on health IL and what your expertise yeah. is and why isn't every country doing something this awesome? First of all, every country can, and they some have different models, right? EIT, the European, uh, what's called European Institute of Technology, right, which is a continental-wise kind of like massive meta accelerator, has EIT Health. They do wonderful things, right? It's not they don't. Um, so there are different models to, in different ways and different support mechanisms. So uh, Health Health gives a really unique perspective because I'm really here to help, you know, put aside my cynicism, the fact that I'm so jaded, whatever, like at the end of the day, I'm trying to help and, you know, so, I do think this model can exist in other countries. Uh, I don't see any reason why not. You know, it's it's a it's a strategic kind of national decision. Like, what's the point of what I do? Uh, the point really is there was a realization that anyone in Israel can make an ad hoc meeting, right? But an ad hoc meeting leads to nowhere. If you really want to integrate something, you need to take it a couple of degrees deeper in your understanding of both the technology provider, the startup, and the healthcare organization on the other side. And that was the big, huge aha moment where like, you know, what's the point of having all these fluff meetings? In a weird way, I'm like an anti, I don't want to say anti, I'm like, I'm like the complement to all of the PR that's going on in Israel, right? I compliment that. All of these things that my my contacts in the foreign ministry and the, the Bureau of Trade and Commerce and all these people, eventually they come to me because they'll do that marketing work, but they realize and recognize that actually integrating something, whether it's integrating it in Israel or integrating it abroad, requires a much deeper understanding. And that was the big aha moment. You know, like anyone can email anyone on LinkedIn. Does that necessarily mean that you're gonna have success? Probably not. Right. And the metrics that I divulge out to the government uh, are not how many meetings did I foster, but how many beyond meetings, right? How many observational studies happened because of my work? How many strategic collaborations between pharma and a startup work happened because of me? How many pilots were started because of me? How many pre-commercialization trials happened because of me? Me meaning my me and my team, obviously. Those are the metrics that we divulge out. Um, and that comes from an understanding that healthcare is difficult. Healthcare is really complex. And in order to make it work, you need to understand much more deeply how the healthcare system operates. I think that is a perfect point to leave off on. And Yoav Fisher, Head of Technological Innovation at Health IL. Thank you so much for shedding a light on Israel, on what's going on, and also the piece of the puzzle that it plays in the global landscape of health tech. So wanted to say thank you very much for joining us here. This is MedTech Money, where we demystify raising and investing capital. Thank you so this much. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm waiting for you to come visit me after all these lockdowns are done. As soon as they're done, I'm getting on a plane. Let's go. Sure. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Uh, I'll talk to you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.